This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Hi, LSPod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to The Love Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen. Proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play. That is that. What a good shot. Oh, what a goal. Last post for Shearer. Goal. Ball now. That's Steve White. Touch to Mitchell. It's another goal. Incredible. Hobble. I will win this league anyway. Richard, he's hit it. It's Cradley! Welcome to the My 11 series of the Live Strangers podcast, a series where I talk to town fans and they share their experiences of following Swindon over the years and we finish off with a Swindon Town Select 11 of my guests choosing. For this instalment, I'm joined by Joe Acklam, a town fan who can be heard talking football on his university radio show Three Draws is a Win and commentating on the fortunes of Bath City on their own internet radio service. A busy chap indeed. Hey, Joe. Hello. Is it Bath or Bath? Um, I say Bath, but I'm posh, so you could go either way. And I say Bath because I'm common. There we go. (laughs) Let's talk about your radio show to start with. Three draws is a win, which Mm. is, well, it has to be a loving nod to the glorious farce that was Swindon Town's 2016-17 season. Yes, uh, I imagine Swindon Town fans who keep up with BBC World should be able to get that name instantly. Uh, it is, of course, a direct quote from Luke Williams, who I think we I think we started 2017 or 2018 with like three consecutive draws and said, well, three draws is a win, completely neglecting the fact that you've just lost two wins 
in that space of time as well, points-wise. But, you know, Luke was an interesting man in uh, interviews. I've got a feeling we might talk about Luke Williams a little later on, but let's talk about your radio show, because it's a university radio show, isn't it? Yeah, it is, Which on it... A CSR FM. Yeah, and it's, and it's available everywhere. I've listened to a few, I must say. I've got to ask, 18 to 21-year-olds, they are a very opinionated bunch a lot of the time to be sweeping in my generalizations there especially when we're talking about football how hard is it to prepare and discuss broad football topics as you guys do on a weekly basis and finding that different angle than a lot of the other radio shows and podcasts cover um it's not the easiest for sure i think it's slightly harder just to find people who are willing to talk about it with me <laughs> on that sort of level but um i found a couple of people uh here in canterbury who are willing to do so so that's always good fun uh, it's just a lot of the time it's me and my friend sam but i've got a couple other people who do it um f- fairly frequently as well most of the time if we just talk normally we're talking about football we're talking about all the kind of things we talk about on the show so i personally never really found too many problems for that because if people would let me I'd talk about football 24-7. <laughs> so let's talk about Swindon Town Football Club then. So how long have you been a Swindon Town fan for? I've been supporting since 2006-7 so since I was six years old. That is a promotion season so a good start. It, it was. I think it slightly deluded me about what was to come supporting Swindon but uh yeah, certainly a fun one for the bits of it that I can properly remember. So you're straight in on a League Two promotion season, which for a while was as good as it got support in Swindon. I'm always intrigued about the appeal of Swindon Town to younger fans, because for people like me, I sort of jumped on the glory bandwagon when Glenn Hoddle, and, well, Ozzy Ardiles and Glenn Hoddle were in charge. I just missed Lou Macari because I was away. What is the appeal for you guys to follow Swindon? Uh, the appeal is just that I really love football. So the, Swindon's the team my dad supported, and I don't think I was ever going to get away with supporting anyone else. So I, it was just it was a calling that I wasn't able to turn down, I suppose. But it's been a fun ride <laughs> since I was made to take it. <laughs> so what was that first town game? Do you remember? I don't remember specifically. I remember bits and pieces about that first season. The first game I can properly remember is the Walsall game to end the season. Mm. But I know that wasn't my first because I can remember bits about playing Lincoln. I remember watching Swindon play uh, Yeovil on Sky uh, whilst I was attending it like a barbecue or something. I I can remember fits and splashes of that bit. But the first uh, main memory is Gerald Eiffel's header. And it was a bullet. Oh, as it was. It was a beautiful header and I was uh, very glad to hear that on this podcast all about it uh, last week. Yeah, I was worried that he was going to downplay it after talking about his goal, his first goal against Crystal Palace. But then we mentioned Walsall and he was clearly very, very proud of that. And as he says, he lives in Swindon to this day, probably as a result of that goal, which is incredible. But I'm not arguing. Yeah, no, uh, more than take it. That that goal is... uh... Pretty important memory for for me particularly. <laughs> so, what are your other early town memories? This can go beyond two thousand six seven. What were your early memories of following Swindon in those early years? A couple of the seasons straight after sort of all seemed to meld into one, other than the obvious sort of Malpass era where it was all terrible all the time. But just sort of a blaze of Simon Cox scoring loads of goals, and somehow we were playing Fenerbahce in a pre-season friendly and stuff like that. I was just mostly going to home games at that point since 
been able to branch out a bit more and since about 2010-11 I think is when I sort of start properly remember things a bit more clearly when obviously uh, Charlie Austin and Billy Painter were tearing apart Leeds on a twice yearly basis. Let's go back to Fenerbahce because I can talk about that game. It was utterly ridiculous at the time because of course they had Roberto Carlos in the team, they had uh, Keshman who had played for Chelsea before, Plenty, pretty much everyone in there were, were internationals or future internationals. And the thing that I love so much about that game, more than anything, is we're in our lotto drill tops <laughs> for a game that was televised live by Fenerbahce. And there's us in our very cheap looking lottos. And uh, I don't think I'll ever forget that. Yeah, it was like when we just suddenly playing Benfica at St George's Park about two years ago. It's like, <laughs> how have we got this friendly? This doesn't make any sense. But you've got Simon Cox scoring a ridiculous goal. And yeah, this is back at the time where Fenerbahce, I think, were actually kind of a big deal at that point as well. It just didn't make any sense that we were playing them. But we did, and it was amazing. And Simon Cox scored an absolute stunner as well. Yeah. Crazy, sort of thirty yard. I think it might have been a volley. I can't remember specifically, but the the whole thing is ludicrous and amazing at the same time. We're from similar areas geographically because I'm from West Wiltshire. You know, only a couple of stops down down the train line is is Bath Spa. What was it like following Swindon as a kid in Bath? Are there many Swindon fans in there? Because when I go from Bristol to Swindon, when the train stops at Bath. There aren't many people getting on, um, certainly not obvious Swindon fans. What was it like for you? It was odd supporting Swindon, not just because it was Swindon, but also because obviously Bath is one of, what I say is about three cities in the country where rugby is the preferred sport. I mean, it's sort of Exeter, Wigan and Bath where people care about it as much as they do. So just generally being at school and things where people would much rather watch rugby and that was always odd to me and I've taken a sort of life vendetta against rugby because of it but sort of even I played football in West Wiltshire as well so played for Corsham and Bradford as sort of youth football level and even then there aren't sort of that many Swindon fans I think I only ever met about two mm. in the entire time and it's yeah it's difficult obviously outside of my own family I don't think I ever really knew anyone in Bath who supported Swindon the only Swindon fans I really knew were the people we'd go to meet on match days as somebody who tends to go to football games solo I don't know how I'd cope with knowing lots of Swindon fans I don't know if it would be a plus or a minus to me to be honest yeah I'm not sure about that either I think I've coped fairly well with being able to sort of contain constantly talking about Swindon I don't think I think my housemates would argue with that at the moment when sort of even last week when we were playing Northampton we were just sort of sat in our lounge hanging out and when Jordan Lydon scores, I've absolutely erupted. And, and they're like, what is going on? But I think it would be fun to know Swindon fans because then I wouldn't just be talking about with my brother constantly. But uh, yeah, I've, I think it's been okay without. I remember when I was at university, Swindon beat Sheffield Wednesday late on. I think it was Christian Roberts that scored the win. I think we were 2-0 down and we won 3-2. And I celebrated so raucously. My now wife said I would break the, 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 the floorboards if I kept jumping. And I have mocked her ever since for that, you know, 15 years on. And I'm still mentioning that. And it's you know a miracle she's still with me, to be fair. But yeah, it is, it is a remarkable thing. Um, so supporting Swindon, what have been 
the best or your favourite games that you've attended? I should probably bash out the obvious ones early from people from the modern era. Sheffield 5, Swindon 5, Swindon beating Leeds 3-0, all those types of games. Bidding Port Vale 5-0 to win the league in League 2 under Paolo. And then that's sort of your obvious, if you support Swindon, the last sort of 10, 15 years, those are your games. But also... Slightly obscure ones, beating Bolton 2-1 in the relegation season. I remember going all the way up there, just off the back of the fact we signed Gladwin, Colkit, Dabo and Farouz in that week. Just thinking, I'm excited now, let's go. <laughs> Me and my dad drove up, we picked up my brother, who was at university on the way, and last minute winner, Charlie Colkit. Beautiful dink to the back post, Yasek Simboli, absolute limbs in the Bolton away end. Just going to places like that where I'd sort of, I, I don't think I'd ever go to Bolton for any other reason than watching Swindon there. And then also, I've ended up going to Port Vale quite a few times. I, I just generally, we just generally quite like it. And I think Swindon being reasonably successful there. And when we go, it's when I think Swindon won, I believe it was when we just signed Josh or Jacob Murphy, one of the Murphys. And I think we won two, maybe three, one. And in the car on the way back, we've texted into Radio Stoke saying, give Quindon, Swindon credit best team i've seen at vale park all season and just finding that incredibly funny yeah just all that kind of stuff it's amazing that local radio still gets saboteurs don't they <laughs> yeah i think uh, a lot of confused port vale crew and stoke fans when suddenly there's an outpouring of support for swindon on there but uh yeah it was that was always a fun one i do tend to agree that Often the best games that you attend aren't the celebratory ones or the epics. They're the ones where you kind of don't expect to have a great time. Like, and they are usually away days where the the stars just align and it's it's great. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's. I think every proper football fan will tell you there's something special about away days. I think even this season I was at Leighton Orient and that was that was just a fantastic day in the sun watching Swindon absolutely crucify Leighton Orient and just how much fun that's just even the smaller wins can be if you've traveled and it's that sort of group mentality in the way and happiest moments supporting Swindon um this happy have been few and far between I think in my own experience uh definitely the happiest has got to be winning league two just the, everything that happened on that day winning five nil I think it's Paul Benson's goal is possibly the best goal I've ever seen live and I've seen Ronaldo score what was a ridiculous header right in front of me at Euro 2016 and it's just that amazing move John Bostock to I think clipped it over Benson's finish it was just insane and sort of the feeling at the end of that game that we'd done it and at that time we felt like we might be going somewhere but it didn't pan out that way but for that brief day that was Probably my favourite supporting Swindon. Yeah, the 5-0 was something else, other than the fact that it was bloody cold that day. And I remember the wind flowing. And I think I bought, well, I bought tickets for the Don Rogers without really thinking about where the trophy presentation would be. And I should have gone into the Arkles. Um, and everything was back-facing in, in the Don Rogers. And I, I completely agree with that. There were two games in 2012 where you thought, bloody hell, this is, this is, gonna, this is the we're going somewhere and that was the Port Vale game and it was the Brighton game in the League Cup the following season oh, yeah, absolutely. On. and we walked out of that August lovely August evening and I remember just getting on the train back to Bristol and thinking bloody hell 
this could be it. Obviously, it wasn't. You know, <laughs> never let your guard down, Rich. But it was just where you think the bigger picture, and it just felt so so good. Yeah, you sort of felt that we might be that team that goes from the bottom to the top, like sort of Bournemouth have done, and like Brighton did themselves. But fate, fate has a funny way of screwing Swindon. It very much did then. It's an inevitability of life that is. So let's talk about those bleak moments. So what are the highlights for you? Um, bleak. I've I've got to put down the three times I've been to Wembley without having seen Swindon score, unless you count Oliver Rissa putting through his own net. I do. Um, so technically yes, but somehow <laughs> getting absolutely ruined by Craig Westcar of Chester Chesterfield. And yeah, those those three times were pretty bad. I, I don't think it gets much worse than having to sit through a season of David Flitcroft. Um, I, I was quite fortunate because that was the season I started commentating for Bar City. So sort of half of the games I was unavailable to go to in inverted commas because it was I was I was the only time I was sort of happy to not necessarily have to watch Swindon because of how absolutely dire it was. But yeah, that being relegated twice isn't great. But yeah, I don't think I can look past certainly at least the first time going to Wembley because at that time, I all I really knew about. League One was what I saw on a Saturday when Swindon were playing. So I just assumed that Swindon were the best team ever. And getting to ship the, um, I think I was probably the only person there that was genuinely confident that we would beat Millwall. I think Millwall were probably an awful lot better than we were, but just everything absolutely crushing me. Charlie Austin and the bobble was as much publicised and just crying. Mm. <laughs> everything I remember my dad was so excited that day because he was taking my brother and myself and obviously his experiences of Wembley had been very good but I've only been to the new one and the new one is very cruel I think in hindsight that was the game of the two in the League One playoffs where we we did stand a chance because Millwall didn't play crazy brilliant that day and they deserve their win but I've said it plenty of times on this podcast before for the Preston game I walked down Wembley Way which what felt like hundreds of Swindon fans that were walking knowing what was going to happen next no matter how many curly wigs you could put on and and overpriced flags I think pretty much all of us knew that we were you know, cruising for a bruising but the Chesterville game is the one that we don't talk about enough because that is the one that we all turned up fully expecting to beat bottom of League One Chesterfield and them giving us an absolute torrid time. And again, not because they were great, it's just Swindon capitulated. I remember when Westcar scored that late goal. Fouling Joe Devera. (laughs) Exactly. And I walked out at that stage and I think the final whistle went as soon as the restart happened. And I very rarely leave a game early, especially Swindon. And I left in a huff and I went with my dad and my dad's cousin and his kid and they were sat in a different part of the ground and I went walking off with the streams of town fans and then I got a message going that well they wanted to uh, show sporting behaviour to the young relative of mine so they stayed and watched the presentation and by the time that they they meet up with me at the end of the game it's just Chesterfield fans and they're walking up to me giving me advice about Swindon's, you know, form and next season. And 
that created a very, very sort of like love of watching Chesterfield fail. Not because they won. It's just because those <laughs> patronizing fans after the game just telling me that we'd struggle in League One the next season and now seeing Chesterfield struggle for their lives in the National League. Although I hope they don't go under or any financial toil. I do enjoy seeing that position. Yeah, the day they signed Brad Barry must have been the best day of your life. <laughs> I remember the Chesterfield game was so odd because we just signed Lee Holmes. And obviously Matt Ritchie was comfortably the best player in the division. But we seem to have decided just to give the ball to Lee Holmes. Like, they get the ball to Ritchie. He'd constantly switch it out to Holmes, who would argue and Robin in Champions League final against Chelsea style, blaze it over the bar every time. It's like, we've got the best player in the league here. Why are we giving it to Lee Holmes? Lee Holmes was a was a flex by De Canio. He couldn't get Constable in, so... He couldn't. He could. He just had to get one over Oxford, and I still, to this day, think because Holmes was at Oxford on loan weeks before signing. I just think he brought him in just to have some sort of one up on them. And of course, Bostock came on for his debut as well. Playing your debut in a final seemed a bit off to me at the time, and you know, especially that Rafa De Vita missed missed out on playing at Wembley as a result of it. But yeah, very odd decisions. Yeah, I think all round, I think McEverly was pretty new then as well. Yeah, David, we just, yeah. yeah. it's just a very odd day. <laughs> it was just a very odd day. I always like hearing about people or fans who have a rational hatred for certain players, whether they're Swindon players or opposition. I ask all my 11 guests for who they consider the biggest rival to Swindon to be. So Oxford, Bristol City, uh, Bristol Rovers, Reading, Ginningham. I've probably missed somebody out. Who is the team that you just love to see us win? Well, I'll the caveat to this that I think Oxford probably are the main rival. Mm-hmm. But, but to me, where I live, it's Bristol City. It's always been Bristol City because I know people who support Bristol City and us beating them and me being able to rub it in their face was an awful lot of fun. And those sort of two weeks in... Uh, 14, 15, when we were above them in the league and I was just laughing at them for a long time. and That, that was always absolutely brilliant fun. And I was, uh, last summer actually, I did a bit of shadowing at BBC Bristol and I went to see Bristol City against Middlesbrough with uh, Richard Hoskins and Gary Hours. And I sort of got them, they were like, oh, it's a, what team do you support? Presumably expecting, I'd say, a Bristol team. It's like, yeah, it's Wyndham Town. And it's defying everything in my being to be here right now, but... I've gone for the greater good, I suppose. Yeah, Br- Bristol City w- winning against them, mostly because they're bigger than us and beating them's always a good good fun just because you're punching up and also local is is always what I look for first. Living in South Bristol as I do, they really, really hated Swindon for that 1-0, for that you know, because it was their first loss of that season and they thoroughly spanked us in the return leg and romped home to win the division but they still any player from that era that still emerges I mean this is a club that prevented Nathan Thompson from getting a contract at Bristol City last summer simply because of something that happened in 2014 it is very very funny Michael Smith's goal in that game also is very underrated but yeah Bristol City I think we live in their heads rent-free just for that day alone. They won the war, but they still... It's very odd. Very odd indeed. So Bristol City, and one day, hopefully, you'll get to see Swindon beat Oxford, and hopefully that will be in the next year. Delivery. And it's back across goal, and it's off the line! 
Incredible. Swindon players were celebrating. The bench was celebrating. But the ball didn't cross the line. Is it Shaden Logan on the line? It certainly is. What an incredible clearance because he's actually stepped off the post that he was marking. And it goes again. This time it's in. Aiden Flint. Swindon Town have rescued it. And Brentford are on the floor in their own backyard again. Let's move on to your 11. There's loads to talk about because you have opted not for your all-time 11, which is great. You have picked a different team, which we'll get to in just a moment. But I'm giving you the opportunity, before we start getting all the feedback on social media about your (laughs) 11, I am giving you the opportunity now for you to very quickly list your real all-time 11. Do you have one? The the reason I haven't done it is because Ben Wills basically did it, because we've we've lived through a very similar Swindon period. But it would have to be Fordringham in goal, back four, uh, Caddis, Stevens, uh, Greer, and I'm going to shift Thompson out to the left because I think Byrne has, uh, has been slightly overblown in his actual legacy. Midfield, have Richie Pritchard on the wings and Ferry Luongo midfield too. And then the obvious front two of Austin and Cox. Yep, pretty much the team of the 2010s, pretty much there, isn't it? But <laughs> not a liking for Nathan Byrne. I felt that he was defensively susceptible too often and that his attacking exploits were I mean he was very good he's obviously very talented because he's played above us but I I think some people slightly overstate his legacy I think in that side he was one of the weaker players what we're going to do now is go through your what I've very snappily called the irrational non-football reasons team that you've selected do you have a name for this squad I think it's just the essence of Swindon Town. I think <laughs> it's a. Uh, I think you obviously you're going to quote all the appearance statistics, and I think all of these guys are going to have a lot lower numbers than you would used to be say, used to be saying because uh, it's an interesting one for sure. Yeah, I mean there aren't many goals in the eleven <laughs> historically for. <laughs> there's Swindon a top Town. goal scorer in there. There's what a, are you saying? There's a top goal scorer in there, but he didn't score many. Um, We'll get to the 11 in a moment, but this is, as I mentioned, a irrational, non-football reason team. What was yeah. the criteria beyond the obvious that you have an irrational appreciation for them? Yeah, um, a lot of them is the name. I, and I, I think you yourself are a good appreciator of a solid footballer name. Absolutely. And so I, I think a lot of it comes from that. But also sort of fringe nations. I think it's always fun to have a footballer especially sort of lower down the ranks that comes from somewhere like that. But usually there's just a very niche story for why I like these players. I mean, this is a Swindon Town podcast, so it's a podcast focusing on the fourth tier of English football. And even for that, this is very niche stuff we're going to be talking about. And I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. Before we go on to the bench, are there any honourable or honorary mentions, people that missed out on the squad altogether? Uh, there are a couple that I've had to axe. Uh, one who was, I think, the only slightly serious player I even considered is Christian Roberts, because he was the first Swindon player that I truly fell in love with. But I've, I've had to axe him because there were two couple players ahead of him. Uh, one's uh, Milan Mitten, 
but the stipulation was you had to have seen them play. And I don't think anyone has ever seen Milan Misson play, despite the fact that he's played for Celtic and AC Milan. <laughs> he is was the Harrier Gombar of his day. Uh, Mehdi Karouche is one that I think I only admitted mostly because I thought about him after I'd submitted the team. But I loved Karouche at the time. I think it's one of the great unsolved mysteries of the day is why Mehdi Karouche sort of stopped playing for us. Because we had, when Di Canio fell out with players, we knew why, generally. Leon Clark, Wes Fodringham, Paul Caddis. We sort of knew why he'd fallen out with them, but Karouche kind of just stopped playing out of nowhere. And I don't remember it ever properly being cleared up. And I just, I want to know what happened to that man, because... <laughs> I loved him at the time, an Algerian striker in League Two who was also banging them in. I think it was a very rare find under Di Canio where he actually had a striker who could score goals because I think he was generally relying off goals around the team. Obviously, Leon Clark and Bradley Wright Phillips didn't work out as we might have hoped because for two very separate reasons. But Carouche, when he was playing, scored quite a lot of goals and it just didn't pan out for him, which is very sad. Connecting the dots from players who played alongside Mehdi Karouche, I would say his love of cigarettes and his very independent mind were contributing factors behind him disappearing from Di Canio's thoughts. That, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> OK, let's start with the seven-man substitute bench. So we're going to list these as you have provided them to me. So we'll start with our number 12, 26 appearances over a season and a bit, Alessandro Chibocchi. Yeah, a man who still to this day loves Swindon Town and would do anything for us. And I, I, you've got to love that in a football player, especially when he's not even from this country. I thought, uh, I think he's, he was a very dependable left back in that sort of 11-12 season, I think. I was, we had a lot of players going on, but he seemed to be a bit of a constant in and around the squad. And I just think he was he was a very serviceable footballer. And I, I just loved him at the time because his name sounds fun. Yeah, it's a dynamite name. And I think he was just happy to do whatever he was told. Hence why he made it through most of the season. He had a fantastic uh, chance, which is, of course was Dance with Chiboki. He recently became a father as well. So congratulations to him. I'd love him on the pod, but I'm told his English isn't that great. But what a player. We'll move on to your sub-goalkeeper, <laughs> who played about an hour for Swindon <laughs> Town. But what an hour it was. Number 13 is Cameron Belford. I think if you're talking about players who played once for Swindon and left an indelible mark on the club, Cameron Belford is that man. As as much as I admire Tyrrell, I think uh, his name is the same as a packet of Chris, which is major <laughs> point in his fla- his her flavour. That was a fortuitous Freudian slip. Um, he was, uh, I think we never really saw the best and probably unlucky to be understudy to two of the best goalkeepers in recent Swindon memory. But Cameron came through for us when we needed him in that crazy, crazy late Norian game when Tyrrell gets sent off. Cameron was the man that came on, saved the penalty. I think he conceded in that game too, but I think for a goalkeeper that we basically only had because we had his brother he had an absolutely stunning only performance for Swindon if I was to be the guest on on this segment that game would go down as one of my favorite memories not because it was a classic it was just bat crazy you had Belford getting sent off 
for Belfort to come on. Unfortunately, poor old Josh Cook was the player, you know, his big debut or starting debut for Swindon, but they had to take him off. Leighton Orient are getting relegated. They go 2-0 up. Harrier Gumbar's playing. You know, you know, they obviously opened the cupboard door at Swindon Town. They kept Milan Meeson in the cupboard and took Harry out and we saw him play for an hour. Yeah, it's 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 one of those games where you've just got absolutely no idea how it all happened, but so glad that it did. Number 14, played 102 times and scored five goals between 2008 and 2011. He was voted on this podcast as the most underrated right-back of the 2010s. It's Kevin Amankwa. I think that's a very fair assessment. He's the most underrated uh, full-back. Obviously, Stephen Darby grabbed the headlines that season, but Kevin Amankwa was very good for us. He obviously played, he scored an own goal that was chalked off in the playoff <laughs> final, but he did do that. I mostly like him because I also saw him for Bath City many years later when I'm getting back to commentate there. And there was a brief day where I was told that I was going to be commentating alongside Kevin Amanqua. And I absolutely freaked the hell out. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to meet Amanqua. That's amazing. But it didn't end up happening, which was probably good for him because I would have spent the entire time fawning over him and asking uh asking him every little detail about his time at Swindon but yeah that was that was a, a great day when I thought I might get to meet an actual former proper Swindon player because obviously I've met a couple who've been at Bath City over the past few years but Kevin would have been in a sort of formal capacity and he was also very good for Swindon. And that celebration when he scored his penalty against Charlton in front of their fans delicious. <laughs> Absolutely. What a man. <laughs> Your number 15 had three spells between 2013 and 2017. 88 appearances, 15 goals. Another member of the Low Strangers underrated 11 of the 2010s. He was a world beater for a few weeks or months in 2015. It's Ben Gladwin. Yeah, um, I think I was somewhat struggling for players that I love for rational reasons in sort of central midfield particularly. But everyone knows the Cladwin goal against Sheffield United and what an absolute pile driver it was. But my main memory of Ben Gladwin is in his second spell. And it is one of my favourite goals we've ever scored. Is well, I'm pretty sure we're playing Gillingham. And we've got the, we've just cleared a corner. Ben Gladwin's got the ball in the touchline in front of me and then Arkle stand. Just sort of strolling forward. Absolutely no urgency about him, which was very typical of him by the time he'd come back. Because I think he thought he was a bit big time. But I won't pass too much judgment because what happened next is absolutely insane. He then plays one of the best passes ever straight over the defence. I believe to, I think it was to a Jose, but it might have been Obika. And he goes in and scores. And it's just one of my favourite goals because of how nonchalant Gladwin was. We're all yelling at him, get forward, run, you idiot. But he didn't need to. And that was why I love Ben Gladwin. And I can't argue with that. Uh, I think Gladwin was one of your typical he's either putting it top corner or in row z sort of players love to shoot but like i said that that time in 2015 where he just looked absolute dynamite and had things gone a little bit different because i've always heard through the grapevine that he didn't want to leave swindon when he when he left for qpr he wanted to stay and had he stayed then he would be mentioned in the same breath as charlie austin in those players plucked from the obscurity of non-league to professional football who 
did well. Yeah, well, he certainly could have been that. I mostly always thought that we'd sort of given them Gladwin so that we could sell Luongo and Gladwin together. Yeah. And so wouldn't have to give uh, Tottenham a sell-on for Luongo. It was like, well, it was four million for the two of them, but Luongo actually only went for a pound. <laughs> but they were they were buying Luongo and we gave them Gladwin because it seemed like a sensible signing to do it. But... Yeah, I, I can imagine that he probably would have wanted to stay because it sort of been a bit of an understudy most of that season with to the Thompson, Glad, uh, Kasim and Luongo midfield, but then absolutely came alive and was absolutely incredible. And yeah, if, what could have been, I suppose. Number sixteen played eighty-eight times, scoring four goals between two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. Very much forgotten, legacy-wise. It's Anthony McNamee. Absolutely. I think you're going to see a theme throughout this that a style of player I like is a slightly short, um, skillful winger. And Anthony McNamee was very much that and everything else. I thought he was absolutely incredible when he played for us. I thought I was slightly surprised when Eiffel last week was talking about the most talented player in that squad and had mentioned McNamee as being someone that he was sort of friends with and then didn't say McNamee was the most talented because he was simply brilliant footballer. I don't think he really had the end product, maybe. I can only really remember him scoring one goal. I think it was an absolute banger at that. But I don't remember him doing too much in that end. But as tricky as you like, he was absolutely fantastic. At the time, I just really loved McNamee. And it's difficult because, as you say, he should have been forgotten a little bit. I think in general with everything crazy that went after him. But certainly that time he was brilliant. He left at a time when Swindon were very much cooking on gas. So I think when players leave, especially those who want to leave, they hand in their transfer requests, etc. And then Swindon go on and do pretty well. Of course, Matt and me went to Norwich, went up as a champion. But we didn't miss him per se. I, I think he would have been a real asset had he stayed for the remainder of that season. And then who knows? Do you think a legacy is impacted by their exit? The way they exit, I should say. I think it often is. I think you sort of often it some, sometimes gets forgotten in the sands of time, but certainly hasn't been the case for McNamee. I think if things are sort of strange about the way a player leaves, I, as I already alluded to, uh, sort of Charlie Austin, sort of the way he leaves makes you think, well, screw you. But <laughs> is is uh, I I think as, as football fans we're we're very tribal people, and when someone in, sort of tries to offend that tribe, then uh, we we don't take too kindly to it. So I don't think that's helped Anthony at all. Number seventeen now played for Swindon between two thousand six and two thousand eight, making sixty four appearances, scoring just that. One goal. Another to become a dad recently. Congratulations to him. Friend of the pod, Sofian Zaboob. Zaboob. And he's in for that reason, pretty much that reason alone. That and, of course, the meditating celebration, which is got, got to be up there with some of the best celebrations that we've seen. Certainly in my time, I think I, when I think Swindon goal celebrations, I think that. I think sort of Simon Cox doing the salute stuff that he used to do. And then sort of Kane Woolery and Theo Robinson doing WWE moves on each other. The sort of iconic things that people have done. But Zaboob certainly head and shoulders above the rest of them. He was obviously very talented. Sort of didn't have the complete memory of him. And certainly listening to him talk about his time at Swindon on Low Strangers was very therapeutic for thinking about that. But yeah, you can't look past a man who's got the, the chant, Zaboob! Absolutely not. And... 
the epitome of a player that joined a club to play for a certain man and then pretty much down tools as soon as said manager left but very much enjoyed that surname and his contribution during that first season of you supporting the club yeah that's i've got to throw it back to a couple of people from all the way back then and Saboob was one of those to get the nod and your final player on the bench is another player from that era. He played 42 times between 2006 and 2007, scoring five goals. One of the coolest names that have played for Swindon in the 21st century, still playing at a higher level today, is Lukas Jukovic. Yeah, I, I think probably the best player on this A-team, which is probably going to make people question why he's sat on the bench, but... Jukovic has been included for one reason and one reason alone, and that is one of my favourite DVDs of all time, Swindon Town 2006-2007 Road to Promotion, in which the um, sort of audio person pronounced his name Jutacevic, <laughs> which which didn't make any sense, but I've, I've loved him for the reason that his name was pronounced Jutacevic for absolutely no reason don't know who'd done it and why they were saying it like that and why no one at the club thought to correct them. Maybe it was because he'd gone to Everton by the time they they were doing that. But I just found that hilarious. And I've watched that DVD probably hundreds of times. But uh, I'm probably going to need to dig it out because I haven't seen it in a while. But yeah, he he was he was called Jutacevic for no reason. And no one addressed it. And I think that's hilarious. And that was good enough to get us his spot on the bench. In many ways, I prefer that pronunciation to Jukovic, if, if I'm honest with you. But <laughs> yeah, you think they do their checks when they do videos and, and, and DVD uh, season roundups, wouldn't you? But he only scored five goals for Swindon, but I seem to remember all of them being very important. Yeah, he was. Uh, I remember him. I'm pretty sure he played. I was at Hereford away, and that was probably one of my first away games. Because I think we were there on holiday and Swindon were playing. I imagine that wasn't coincidental from my dad, but <laughs> there we go. I, I I remember it as such, and I'm pretty sure he played that day. And I think he scored. It's, it's, I, we just suddenly sold someone to Everton, and as someone who wasn't completely switched on at that point in their life, it's like I swear our strikers were Peacock and Roberts, but okay, sure. <laughs> it's Gladwell! You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Okay then, so here we go. The Joe Acklam Irrational Non-Football Reasons 11 starts with the goalkeeper. 2006 to 2009, 76 appearances before... A well-publicised injury, he looked just too good for League Two. He was a very good goalkeeper, it's Peter Brezovan. I think the coolest thing to a six-year-old is having a goalkeeper who is an absolute behemoth slowback, and he was just incredible as a goalkeeper. I personally, possibly because I wasn't, again, fully fully connected with football at the time, I look at him in a similar vein to Fodringham and Vigaru personally because I just remember him being that good he did crazy things he was probably the tallest person I'd ever seen at the time and it was amazing and it always made didn't make much sense to me as much as I've come to love him more recently Phil Smith as a penalty saving hero that he was but it was like 
at certain points we were playing him over Brezavan. I was like, why would you do that? <laughs> Brezavan's massive. You can't physically put the ball around him. But yeah, for those reasons, it was yeah, I couldn't look beyond Brezavan because he's, I, I think, someone who maybe doesn't, again, get the sort of love that I, I personally think he deserves. Let's talk analytical. It was very odd that over several managers and several seasons, none of the managers knew who to field. They seemed to just chop and change between Brezovan and Phil Smith. But let's talk about the important stuff that he was at the time. I mean, I'm 13 years clean of football manager, championship manager or whatever uh, games they're called now. So I haven't played them for years. But Peter Brezovan was the ultimate football manager signing and more importantly than that, he had that Eastern European mullet thing going on early on as well, which I can't get enough of. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think I was lied to at the time and told he was like the third choice Slovakian goalkeeper. And I was like, really? That guy's playing for Swindon? That's amazing. But it made sense because I'd watched him play and he was very good. And I had no idea what the standard of Slovakia would be like. So I was just constantly amazed by this huge man playing in goal for Swindon who was absolutely incredible his debut at Hartlepool I'm telling you at the time it was just ridiculous stuff saving two penalties keeping a clean sheet in a game that we had no right to win Hartlepool played us off the park in league two terms I might add but just (laughs) absolutely ridiculous and when he did concede the following week at the county ground it was I remember the feeling when the goal went in of just people thinking does that count because this guy doesn't concede you know last week proved that it was a very very enjoyable first few weeks with Brezovan and then just the worst possible injury that a goalkeeper can get really yeah I think I think that didn't help him but yeah my memory of the two was I always thought of Phil Smith as in a very brief period, I believe it might have been the next season, we were playing Hartlepool, and I think it was the most Phil Smith thing that ever happened. They put in a corner, he came out, made an absolutely unbelievable take, and I'm like, oh, go on, Phil Smith, that's amazing, and then threw the ball straight out to someone I think was Richie Humphreys, and he threw it straight to him, and he lobbed him straight away. And that was my mem- main memory of Phil Smith. Like, we're playing this guy and not Brezovan, who saved two penalties in one match. What are we doing here? <laughs> we love you, Smudge. Okay, we'll move on to number two. And he's one of three players where I have to say to date, because number two plays for Swindon still, joined in 2019. So far, he has made 37 appearances, scoring one goal. It should have been more. You know, I'm a big fan. It's Rob Hunt. Uh, everyone loves Rob Hunt. Rob Hunt is not here for the reasons you might have been thinking when you saw his name written down uh, when I emailed you who I was going to put in this team. Rob Hunt is fantastic. We all know he scored against Leighton Orient. I don't know why. I don't know why Liga being weird about it, especially as Owen Doyle seems to have been given that goal against um, the other week and Rob Hunt wasn't. We all know you scored, Rob. But Rob Hunt is here because it proves my scouting credentials beyond any end because I signed Rob Hunt an entire year before Swindon did on Football Manager because I'd spent an entire summer, because Phil Brown had neglected to sign a left-back. I think we had Matt Taylor and Joe Romanski as the only possible options there. So I spent an entire summer trying to find a left-back I could pick up for free, and I couldn't find anyone that was good enough. So all these players are useless. So I went and 
bit so just went for it signed rob hunt and he was absolutely unbelievable i think in prime joey tacker swindon football i think he's got like eight or nine assists in half a season and he was absolutely incredible and so when we actually signed him i think most i i was in porto at the time on holiday after my first year at uni and i've been we were sort of sat in the youth hostel and my brother's gone we signed rob hunt i don't really know who that is and i was like but I do. I know exactly who Rob Hunt is. If he be, if he's even half as good as he was on Football Manager, we've signed an unbelievable player here. So all the way through preseason, people saying, "Oh, Rob Hunt or Tyler Reed, who's going to get the nod?" I was like, "I know who the I know who the real deal is here." So I've I've just been excited the entire time that Rob Hunt was playing for us, and that's in the same reason that whilst everyone in January wanted us to sign re-sign Jerry Yates and Owen Doyle I was thinking no we should sign Kalen Hines on loan from Watford because I've signed him on this year's football manager and he's been absolutely breathtaking currently leading our charge in the championship after I signed him once uh, Rotherham extended Jerry Yates's contract this is who I actually wanted yeah. but as I was like we should sign him he'll be way better than both of these guys he scored 25 goals in league one so yeah, there's it's so if Richie Wellens wants any scouting tips, uh, Rich has Rich has my Skype and he has my Twitter and stuff. So hit me up. I've I've got loads of tips for you. I'll pass those details on. But what we need to know is how did he do in his second season? I I didn't actually end up playing that save for too long. Ah. Is is the thing which is disappointing. So I didn't get to see the progression of Rob Hunt. But I knew for at least one season Rob Hunt was going to take Swindon by storm, and he has. Well, I like to think for those who are listening to this in 2025, you're hearing the first year of that rise to the Premier League with Rob Hunt playing either right back or left back, depending on who's available. Yeah, he's great for versatility as well. Always a nice thing to have. Number three is a player who featured for Swindon between 2007 and 2008, playing 47 times without scoring. He was the player of the season that year, I think he robbed Craig Easton of that award, but that's my opinion. Nobody knows how it's pronounced, but I'm going to go with number three, Miguel Comange. It's, I thought what you're going for. I was, I was just going to go for. I was going for Kaminguez. Yeah, but uh, as yours is probably more accurate. We'll we'll get to pronunciations on a player slightly later on in how I have a slightly quirky way of saying it. But the time to me as a child again, Miguel Kaminguez. His name was Miguel Kamikis because I don't <laughs> think I could say it properly. And that has always left an impact on me because it was of no end of amusement to uh, my brother and my father, who were just like, <laughs> to say his name again, like Kamikis, it's his name. But I think he's one of the people that defines that unbelievable lotto shirt we had with the <laughs> diamonds, where we had this, we had, it was us and Fury and Tina had the same design shirt. Was, this isn't supposed to happen. Was, we, we just had this crazy shirt, which I loved. And we also had the weird stuff with Kingswood Group as the <laughs> sponsor that year. And fortunately, it rubbed off the shirt quite easily if you bought one, as I found out. But I think that worked out quite nicely for the club. But yeah, Kamingas was incredible. And that showed by the fact that he went up to uh, was Cardiff, right? Mm-hmm. Right after right after his, after his contract expired. He was, was a tremendous fullback and someone who with such a brilliant haircut deserved to be on this list. 
Hell of a haircut. Now let's talk about that kit because that's what everyone wants to talk about. That kit, you know the back, you know the backstory of that kit, that the template that we shared with Fiorentina and Ukraine. Is it the? I've heard something about it. We had a thing with diamonds, yeah, because of the badge as well. No, it, it, it was. It, it's even worse than that. It was a fan voted kit. So we were given three templates to to choose from and email the club uh, with your preferred and I'm sure it was sabotaged because it was no way the best template there were the other two were very basic but they were much much better kind of like the the Simon Cox lotto kit with the with the white sort of sleeve or shoulder part um but yeah the the diamonds was picked by the fans and what a choice it was too! I love that shirt. We've, in my time, had made two or three home shirts, which you think the design is slightly crazy. Which, as a person, I quite enjoy when designs are slightly odd. So I, I, I love that shirt so much. And Kaminga is is the person I associate it with it probably the most. Number four for Swindon. Played just a few months in 2017, a relegation season. He made 14 appearances, scoring two goals. At least one was an absolute belter. Rowan Ince? Yeah, Rowan Ince is absolutely fabulous for us, I think. I, I don't know if anyone else has necessarily been having this debate, but I think possibly comparable to Anthony Grant as a sort of holding midfielder we've had of recent years. I think probably let down by the players around him. But there was a time I remember when we just signed him. He wasn't even fit. And I think he won like three or four back-to-back man of the matches in home games because he just sweep up everything. And he, is, he was an absolutely brilliant midfielder. And I, I, whenever he became available, I'd always want us to sign him because of how good he was that season. But my main memory of Rowan Ince goes all the way back to that Brighton game in the League Cup all those years ago where Rowan Ince scored... What I can only say is the greatest goal ever, where he picks the ball up, his own box, plays it long, charges up the field to get the ball back, gets it in, volleys, top Benjamins, unbelievable. And so I spent my entire life not really knowing who Rowan Ince was, presuming this was some sort of wonder kid that Brighton had and was presumably like a number 10 midfielder based off having seen him done that. And we signed him and he was one of the best holding midfielders I've ever seen, which is always a very odd paradox, but... He definitely should have should have done that goal that he scored for Brighton against us for us more often than we might have stayed up. I don't know if I can forgive you for top Benjamins, but what I will <laughs> say is that I think a lot of us were like hopeful that he would sign for Swindon permanently, especially when we dropped down to League Two. But he played against Swindon in that in that one one draw in the FA Cup where Swindon scored in the ninety first and then they went straight up and scored after. Uh Ince played the first well, he played about three quarters of that game and he was not good. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have the same success he did. I think he just loves the county ground. He's one of those players, you sort of Nicky or Jose's, your Michael Doughty's, who are exclusively good playing for Swindon, or in his case at Swindon because of that game for Brighton, is, is it, some people just fall apart when they're no longer in the SN postcode. Gladwin's a bit like that as well. Let's go with number five now. So another current player for now. Uh, he's been with us 
senior-wise since 2018, playing 10 times for the Swindon first team, scoring one goal. I suspect this could be Bath City related, but you're just about to tell me. Number five is Joe Romanski. Yeah, Joe Romanski is partially Bath, partially Swindon. Um, but from a Bath perspective, he's, I didn't actually get to see him an awful lot when he was on loan there because the first part of his loan spell, I was at university. By the time he came back, I came back, he wasn't really playing too much, but I actually ended up meeting him quite a few times in the clubhouse after the game, and having some fabulous chats with him. He's a genuinely really nice person. Follows me on Instagram as well, which is always nice. But um, just, just to have a professional football player following you. And he's, yeah, I also learned a week before it was properly announced that Romanski had had his contract extended and Sol Price hadn't because it had happened the day of Bath City losing to uh, Wealdstone in the playoffs. Uh, in the playoffs, And in the clubhouse afters, talking with Romanski, and we asked him about it in case he could tell us, and he did. So it was always very nice of him. But he's one of those players I think Swindon have had one or two many times where it's sort of a young player who comes on the scene, looks really promising, and then we never really give them the opportunity to show what they're about. I think players like Miles Storey, even sort of Lee Marshall... Scott Twine seems to be having that at the moment as well. When when they've played for Swindon, they've looked very good, but they never really got the time to show why they should be playing for us on a regular basis. And although Joe Romanski is a defender, I think he goes alongside Sol Price and Tom Smith in the sense of it, it makes it very awkward for managers when they score because fans interpret goals equate to appearances and therefore if he's scoring in this game he needs to play the next game and it doesn't quite work like that does it yeah not necessarily i don't think romanski was ever going to be famed for his goal scoring no. he did did get that one and uh, tranmere right but I, I think when he's actually played he looked very That's competent fine. for us a uh, central defender and he can also move out to left back i think as a very good report, I didn't go to this particular game, but in a pre-season game against Melksham where he makes makes a brilliant run forward from the back and sets up a goal. And he is, yeah, I, I, I think there is a player in there that we haven't properly harnessed. And I think that maybe happens one or two many times for my liking. But, you know, people who are paid to run football clubs decide otherwise. So I don't think we can argue too much. Number six now, played for Swindon between 2012 and 2014, making only 23 appearances and scoring one goal. Perhaps better known for his social media, which at the time was unforgettable. Uh, think Sir Mix-a-Lot. Number six is Troy Archibald Henville. What a player. I remember his goal, I believe it's against Burnley in that uh, League Cup match. Again, Charlie Austin on his return, whilst I was still in a hating him phase. Troy with a power header into the net. I've got, I think there's a great photo of him celebrating behind the goal after scoring it. But Troy is one of those where I think, I think he very much fit in with this season's squad when we sort of went into the season thinking everyone would be injured all the time. And Troy very much was. But he was, when he played, he was absolutely outstanding. But he just could not get his, uh, his body to work for him properly. I remember towards the end of the 13-14 season playing away at Bristol City we had a back three of Troy Stevens and Nathan Thompson and just thinking this is an unbelievable back three if we can keep these guys fit but by the end Troy physically couldn't play more than one match a week 
which is problematic in the Football League. <laughs> he would have gone on to much bigger things had he stayed match fit. And now he's coaching at Tottenham Hotspur with former town alumni Matt Taylor. And I'm sure he'll prove his worth there. But man, I'll say it again. His Twitter at the time. Woo. I don't think I had Twitter at the time, so I'm not to- totally certain uh, what he was doing on there. But if it was Troy, I'm I'm here for it, quite frankly. If if only he would accept my offer on Football Manager to become a coach at Swindon, then we would be friends again, I'm sure. Think, <laughs> I think the phrase when he was on Twitter it was his love for... F- <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Okay, number seven for Swindon Town is our final player of the currently still at the club list. 29 appearances to date. No goals somehow so far. Number seven, Lloyd Isgrove. Yeah, a man who has technically not scored for us, but I have seen him score for Swindon. Uh, I was at the Manchester United friendly when he scored an absolutely ridiculous goal right at the start. And in that game, I was sort of watching him thinking... I mean, when this guy gets the ball, he's the best player on the pitch. He fades in and out the games a little bit too much. I'm not totally sold on him. At that time, we weren't sure about the budget as well. I'm thinking, you know, I'd like him as a player, but, you know, it's not sure it's going to be essential. But ever since that day, and I think it's definitely started at Scunthorpe more than anywhere else, I, I have a ridiculous love for Lloyd Isgrove. The room I'm currently sitting in, I have a Lloyd Isgrove calendar that I was given for Christmas because of how much I love Lloyd Isgrove. And, you know, if anyone wants to forgive this, show this clip, let, let Lloyd listen to this, just know that Owen Doyle may be grabbing the headlines, but in this team, you're the one for me. I, I love a nippy winger. He's that in abundance. Everything he's done for Swindon, I cannot get enough of. And I will never get over playing at Cambridge when, much like in the uh, JBT final we've talked about, we kept giving the ball out to Woolery instead of Isgrove. And I'm just thinking, whenever Isgrove gets the ball, he beats his man, crosses to the back post, and we score. So why are we giving it to anyone else? But I'd, I think when Lloyd is on form, he is the best player in this division. No one can beat him one-on-one. He is the master. And I love him so, so much. I'm getting vibes of that episode of I'm Alan Partridge where he ends up at a super fans, uh, super fans uh living room and it's full of uh, paraphernalia of Mr Partridge and you have the Lloyd Isgrove equivalent and I don't hate that either. Early memories of Lloyd Isgrove. For me, it's the 3-0 win against Macclesfield. I'm pretty sure it was the Macclesfield game where he has to go off early on, well, with about seven minutes to go. And he has a lap of honour during the game because, obviously, he goes off at the nearest point, a rule that seems to have faded out recently. And he just goes on the slowest walk around the ground. I swear he even kisses a baby on the way back to the tunnel. Very, very odd. And we were singing, like, E-I-E-I-E-I-O in September, which, at that time recording, doesn't seem as daft as it did at that point but it was just so funny and again lovely weather yeah the the afternoon especially late norian i think that was the day that the lloyd isgrove song debuted we were all in the away end it was an unbelievable day lloyd came up to us at the end and the entire away end still in the ground chanting lloyd isgrove grove always believe in your soul and it's just 
one of the most spine tingling moments and I think his growth may have faded down a little bit in people's ex um, people's affections recently because of the injuries and he's maybe not in the best of form at the moment. But I, I watched a video of sort of Owen Doyle's early goals for us and some of the stuff his growth was pulling out to make those possible is just unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. He's one of several Swindon players from the 2019-20 season that has these bursts of a few weeks where they are the best player in the team and then another player comes in. It's been really great in that respect. And I've also got a lot of time for Lloyd Isgrove and his immediate sort of circles love of playing gold by Spandau Ballet and then uploading it onto social media. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fabulous. And I think whenever a player has a chant like that, I, I think everyone just loves them that little bit more. And Isgrove definitely has one, one of the more creative chants I think Swindon have given out to players recently that uh, Wellens was calling for earlier on in the season. Number eight then played for Swindon between 2015 and 2016. That awkward transition where Town had lost their big names and Mark Cooper was left with a budgeted task of replacing them he played 26 times scoring no goals it's Drissa Traore yeah I'm probably going to come across as a massive stalker because of these last two alone but Drissa Traore is one of I, I just loved him as soon as he came sort of on trial with us and I learned what his name was I was like this is the man for me I think he was he was <laughs> so probably let down by a lot of players in that team who probably couldn't play at his oh, very lofty levels I think very few players are ever going to come on at half time and still win man of the match in the very same game although that may have been warped because there was probably his family in the uh in the supporters but in their sponsors that day but yeah Triss was incredible I've been to I went to Forest Green like two or three times after he left us just just to watch him play again and that also helped because I got to see Fabian Robert do the laziest warm-up I've ever seen in my life he sort of the slowest jog you can imagine he sort of did down the touchline in front of us and it was well, it's it's sparked a long joke in circles of people who were there which is me and my own me and my brother but i've i just i just went to see driss because i because he was amazing and i thought he was hilarious and i was there i think they got to the playoff final in the day uh, because they just went to see the playoff semi-final because i had nothing to do that day so much went to see driss Pitching page at the end, searching him out, met him. Also saw Paul Benson that day because he was playing against them. So that was nice as well. But yeah, it's just, Trace is one of those players. There are a couple of those, <laughs> obviously, on this list that I I, I just love them. They, they weren't that good for us at all, I think. I can't see many people putting Driss anywhere close to a sort of proper My 11, I suppose, if you think about your best players, but... If, if there's one thing you take out of this podcast, it is don't diss the Driss. I'm a big fan of paying homage to former players uh, when they're playing nearby. I've admitted to Sam Parkin and Jarrell Eiffel that I've gone to see them simply because they're in town. I think there's been a couple of others as well. But would I would I go and watch Drissa Traore play if he was nearby? I don't think I would. I, I can't think many would, but I did, and I do not regret that decision one bit. <laughs> I'd have him on the pod, though. Don't you worry about that. Let's move to number nine now. So played for Swindon between 2010 and 2011. Made 40 appearances for Swindon, scoring only 
five goals, which was the problem at the time. He was a biggish name, but it just wasn't meant to be. Number nine is Vincent Pericard. Yeah, we referenced the top goal scorer to feature on this on this team. Vasson Pericard is the man who is that top goal scorer that was still at the club. So there's a small asterisk because obviously Charlie scored three times as many goals <laughs> as he did that season. But Pericard, uh, it's, it's sort of like you with the Invincible thing. I, I think, you know, he's French, so surely it's not Vincent Pericard. It'd be something more like Vasson Pericard. And that's how I've decided to say it in spite of the fact that it's definitely not that i just think it's more fun <laughs> but is he was it was incredible that we'd suddenly signed another one another one things don't really make sense at swindon we signed a player that had been at juventus portsmouth and stoke i even found out after we'd signed him that i had a shootout 2005 card of him at portsmouth i was like just flicking through old football cards and Pericard was there and that was but how having seen him play and then see him there so what was he doing in the Premier League you know but I I just thought he was one of those players where someone with that list of clubs is just always fun and him and Dossavi made so much sense at the start we had a Togolese international and someone with the best experience you can really ask for in League One but it's not going to plan for either but um, I don't. I think many were annoyed at him at the time, but I just ended up finding it funny how sort of inept someone like that could really be. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, his is. I think the initial task for for Pericard is that he was meant to be the super sub, uh, compliment Painter and Austin by coming on and doing his bit and. The big moment for him was in the playoffs against Charlton. And if he would have scored what was a very easy chance, I, you know, football was about moments. And I do think that was a big moment for him, even though, you know, we went to the Wembley anyway, but for for confidence and momentum, etc., I think that would have gone quite some distance. And, you know, what happens to Vincent post-Swindon as well, is much documented and it was a great, great shame. But it was very amusing hearing you list Portsmouth, Juventus and Stoke. (laughs) Well, uh, to me, Stoke are a big team because most of the time they have been in the Premier League. But yeah, I think historically maybe not quite in the same league as Juventus. But uh, (laughs) I I, I always thought he, he was there and that made no sense having seen him play. Let's talk about your number 10 now. Played for Swindon between 2008 and 2010, making 24 appearances, scoring no goals. A super sub who managed to maintain a long career despite a lengthy ban. Number 10, Mark Marshall. Yeah, a man who to sort of cram in the number of wingers that I liked, I also had to sort of cut out Henrik Iyama from this uh, because there were just too, there were just too many wingers. But I've, I've decided to place Mark in the sort of number ten role behind this behind uh, Pericard to sit, see what he can create from there. And Mark Marshall is in here for a very specific reason, and that is when I went to get 
uh, shirt that season, I was asked, what name do you want on the back of it? And that name was McNamee, who was on the bench, obviously. And they said, we can't really do that because I was very small and that was apparently too many letters. <laughs> so I said, OK, so who else would you like? And I said, Marshall, which, as you may have worked out, is longer than McNamee. <laughs> but they just they were like, OK, that's fine. We'll, we'll do Marshall. And I, that shirt ended up getting signed by him. And one of the great tragedies is that I no longer own it. Just, just as a collector's item. Cause I don't, don't think many people have signed Mark Marshall shirts because he wasn't much of a, much of a big deal for us. But I, I thought when he played, he fits that mould I've talked about. Jinky, skillful winger, slightly short, and he was exciting when he did play. He just didn't get an awful lot of pitch time because of players ahead of him. But I will never forget Mark Marshall because of. That very odd instance when they said no to Mac and me, but yes to him. Because they ran out of the little C. Maybe. They, they said specifically that it was because McNamee was too long to fit on quite a slim shirt <laughs> at the time. <laughs> at the time, So that that's what they said. It may have been because of the little C. But yeah, Marshall 18 signed was something that was, was quite fun for me to have and something very different. I remember a friend who uh, 2006 World Cup um, got the England red away shirt for that and one of the sports shops was doing a very reasonable um, offer where you could get a name on the back and he wanted his name on the back which was about eight letters long and I remember him having a very long argument with the staff because they couldn't fit his name on but his argument was they put Wright Phillips on the back of the England shirt <laughs> so why can't you put this name on and they did not have an answer but he still couldn't get his name added on I put that down to the uh, skills of that particular shot but it was very very funny so Mark Marshall finds his way into your Swindon 11 which brings us to our final player who played only eight times for Swindon during the 2013-2014 season and one wonders what might have been had he not skied that penalty against Peterborough in the Football League trophy number 11 it's a pronunciation issue for me again it's Tiani Freitas Reis. Yeah, I'm going similar to that. Tijani Freitas Reyes is how I've tended to say it. This one sort of combines the last two in sort of why I love him so much. I, I challenge anyone to find a Swindon player with a better name than that, quite frankly. But he supposedly at the time, I believe, had turned down... He'd either been on trial or got offers from Stoke and Man United and had turned them down to sign for us. And we're like, okay, Portuguese winger, just turn down these big clubs to come to us. Yes, please. And I think he gets injured in that first game of the season against Peterborough, which I remember from being on holiday in Italy at the time. And I think the only time I saw him play was against Peterborough again in that JBT game where he missed the penalty. And I'd been waiting all season to see him play because all season I had Reyes 6 on a Swindon shirt. And that's sort of another one, another one on the Swindon shirts where the home shirt is slightly more creatively designed. And so I liked it for that. But that shirt right now, I still have it. It's at home in Bath. It is signed and framed in my house. And that is probably the only one in the world of a, a probably any Tijane shirt, to be fair but a framed and signed Tijane shirt. And he was, he was, he seemed to fit everything that I would like, but I think he was just injured 
all the time, a bit like Troy as well, where there was clearly going to be a player there. We just really didn't see it. Where do you stand on squad numbers where they're so out of position? Because number six for race or rice or whatever, sorry. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I've got to be honest, I'm a purist. It doesn't sit comfortable with me. It doesn't sit comfortably with me either, especially as Ryan Harley was number seven. <laughs> and surely that would have made more sense for him to be number six. But you don't know how far up the pecking order these guys were when picking their shirt numbers at the time. But... Yeah, I, it's it doesn't sit too comfortably, but I don't know. I was willing to get over that for Tijane. And there we have it then. So 11 players with about, what, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine goals across the uh, <laughs> across the side. I don't know if we're going to survive League One. I think we'll just about scrape League Two survival with this team. But how are they setting up? What's the formation? Uh, it's in a sort of four-two-three-one. As I said, I sort of put Marshall slightly more inside than he would normally be with Drisser and uh, Rowan Ince playing in the midfield roles. I think it's fairly obvious that if this team played against literally anyone else's my eleven side, they would get absolutely battered. But uh, fortunately, they're not going to have to because this is all theoretical. And as, as I'm, I have to say again, all of my players pretty much were taken. So. I decided to do something interesting, and that's certainly what we've done. Well, I I love the fact that we just get to talk about some of these players who aren't going to be in other people's 11s. I've got all the time in the world for that. Hi, I'm Colin Calderwood, and welcome to the Loathe Strangers podcast. But we still have to pick a manager. Your manager was assistant to Mark Cooper. There you go, straight away, everyone's got it, between 2013 and 2015. He became manager in 2015, including a caretaker spell, and he lasted all the way until the end of the 2016-17 season. He signed a five-year contract in March 2016, which means at the time of recording in February 2020, he still has just over a year left of said deal. 75 games were managed by him, 20 wins, 22 draws, 33 losses, 84 goals during his time, 109 conceded. It's Luke Williams. Yeah, everyone talks about sort of David Moyes, Alan Pardew and the sort of length of their contracts. Luke Williams arguably made even less sense than theirs because it was his first managerial job and he'd only done okay as a caretaker, having previously refused to do it. And I, I I need to make it clear, I don't think Luke Williams was a particularly good manager. Obviously, he was a very good coach because... Everyone kept saying it, even when we were getting smashed and that sort of Nicky Jose was coming out. So, but he's he's a really good on the training ground, but we never saw it ourselves in a managerial capacity. Luke Williams is here partially because of the radio show and the fact that he's given me the title that will I've just always dreamed of naming it something so ridiculous when football shows are sort of it's football weekly or whatever, but it's free draws is a win. But just some of the stuff that Luke Williams did to sort of defies belief. I already talked about him saying that free draws made a win in a press conference. But I love some of the simplicity of the tactical switches he made to try and uh, alter our fortunes at the end of that season. Because he said we conceded a lot more than we scored and the uh, under his uh, stewardship. And I think part of the reason was that is he clocked that we weren't defending very well. So his mate, his fix to that was just to make no one attack. And we just had everyone back defending. 
and we just sort of stopped scoring any goals towards the end and we get nil nils based off the fact that Lawrence Biggeru was performing heroics in goal and yeah Luke Williams is, is I just looking back I just find it very funny at the time I was I was not having fun but uh Luke Williams having still time left on his deal we're going to bring him back and he's he's managing these boys to victory I reckon he's going to get a draw against any 11 he plays <laughs> I think the one more draw to equal win comment I think that was in early 2017 and I think that was the moment he lost a lot of the more sympathetic uh, Swindon fans for that line. As wonderful as it is, I think that was the moment that it was pretty much doomed. I really, really wanted him to succeed. I liked I liked the idea of a five-year contract. I think that just, you know, logically it was it was okay. So he's, they're building something. We just wanted somebody who had four or five years more management experience to have that five-year deal, didn't we? Yeah, I don't think anyone ever would have not wanted Luke to succeed because he'd been at the club for a while, was widely touted as being as good as he was and everything that was going on there. But the man didn't even want to be our manager. Lee, Lee Power had to take the side because Luke Williams genuinely refused to do it. And when someone's done that and sort of six months later you've decided to give them a five-year contract and a job they didn't want it it just it makes no sense but I think if he'd played the sort of flowing football and developed players in the way that I think we were probably led to believe he was going to then we'd have been more than happy to still have him at the club today but the players as they were that was never really going to work because the team was just absolutely awful because James Brophy was even near it and <laughs> it was yeah it was it was never set up to succeed with Luke Williams and Sad as it may be, I think some of the stuff he was coming out with probably shows why it didn't work. Yeah, and his legacy is that all the players loved him and unfortunately the fans didn't see what that love was and it turned into this thing where maybe he's the reason that Mark Cooper was booted out because they respected him more than Cooper. And then he went on to Bristol City under 23s where he nurtured several players who went on to leave for millions of pounds. But it did result. He left Bristol City uh, late last year and the statement of his departure is one of the most typically Bristol City and wonderfully bitter exit statements that you'll ever read. I'm now going to read you from the official Bristol City website the confirmation that Luke Williams has left the club. It's titled Luke Williams Departure and it goes like this. Under 23's coach Luke Williams has left Bristol City. Assistant coach Alex Bull is currently taking charge of the club's under 23's. That is it. <laughs> Very informative. <laughs> no good lucks. No, he has helped nurture X uh, amount of players. Just uh, be gone. Now he's uh, forming Swindon 2 at MK Don. So good luck to him. And good luck indeed. Well, there we go, Joe. Didn't that fly by? How are you feeling? Um, I've... Very glad I've been able to get some of those anecdotes off my chest. I think I think a lot of people are going to be slightly confused when they start to hear the players' names, but if, if you 
you just turn your brain off for an hour and a half or so, you're going to understand that these these are just players that are genuinely better than anyone else you can think of. And if you disagree, well, you're, you're doing football wrong. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll get plenty of replies in your on your Twitter feed as a result of some of these selections. Joe, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Rich. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. It's a grand old team to play for. And it's a grand old team to sing. And it was ahead of a season for him, but we'll move on. Well, pronunciation-wise, before we move on, I googled the pronunciation of Miguel because I was firmly in the Cominguez camp as well. But I decided to give it a, a Google today, and there was a village with the same spelling of uh, Comange, so we're going to go with it. And ha- maybe if he was Comange back in 2007, we would have never let him go. No, I, f- I, f- I think we would have had a sort of come on, Comange chant going on and he would have wanted to stay even more than he probably did already it's got to be a, a come on Jailene sort of thing going on there uh, almost certainly there's definitely something there <laughs> stu- stupid Guadeloupe with their pronunciations that are difficult for us to understand when will they learn what a player and this is sort of off the record. I, I think no one should ever hear this part, but I full on intend to name any children I might have. I'm going to give them the middle names of Troy, Archibald and Henville, just because I think it's fabulous. But I, I remember his goal. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Oh. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.